Thanks, Rosemary. And I'd encourage you to have your Bibles open because we are going to flick around a little bit uh, this morning uh, as we sort of start to think about the book of Ecclesiastes, how it works, how it all fits together and uh, what, what it's saying. We're starting this new series today and we've called it uh, Life Within Limits, uh, looking at the book of Ecclesiastes. I'll explain as we go on why we've called it uh, that. But the purpose really of the series is to consider together the question, how do we do life well? Um, That's a key question perhaps in our better moments when we've got a bit of time to pause and reflect, uh, slow down from the hustle and bustle of life and just the grind of getting through each uh, each of the days to stop and to think about, you know, are we doing life in the best possible way? Are we investing our time, our energy, our focus in the right sort of things? Um, as we think about doing life well, there's no shortage of advice, is there? You can turn on the TV uh, and uh, adver- uh, advertisements or uh, TV shows will often tell us about the way that they think life is best done. Things like, you know, follow your dreams. You can do whatever you want to do if you just follow your dreams. Uh, Look out for number one. No one else is going to look after you. You need to look after yourself. Uh, If you buy this car, buy this house, buy this holiday, then you'll be truly happy. Be yourself. Don't let anyone else tell you what to do, who you can be. Be yourself. Be true to yourself. There's no shortage of advice. You can probably think of plenty of other things that are often said to us. The question is, is any of it any good? And the, the, the book of Ecclesiastes is really going to put a lot of this to the test. Weigh it up, test it, and think about whether any of this works. Uh, we're going to be led by a guide, the teacher, who will explore life, explore where meaning is to be found, and talk about how to live life well, life within limits. The book of Ecclesiastes is what is called a wisdom book, that is it explores how to be wise, how to live well, how to make good decisions, how to put the right things into practice. And as we go through this book there's actually two voices which are speaking in the book. Uh, Firstly there's the author and if you have a look at uh, chapter 1 verse 1 you see that the author speaks to begin with to introduce us uh, to uh, the teacher. Verse 1, the words of the teacher, son of David, king of Israel. And I think also it's the author speaking in verse 2 when he gives us the summary of the book or the summary of the teaching that the teacher is going to give us. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher, utterly meaningless, everything is meaningless. From verse 3 onwards, we're going to hear a different voice, that is the voice of this teacher uh, who will explore this theme throughout the book. But if you flick in your Bibles to the last chapter of Ecclesiastes just to see how it works and fits together, in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, uh, you see that in verse 8, we get this statement, very similar to what we heard at the beginning Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 8. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher, everything is meaningless. I think that's the author coming in again and certainly from verse 9 onwards, the author is going to give us a bit of a conclusion, a wrap-up, an appraisal, if you like, of the things that the teacher has taught. Um, 
but in between those two parts, those bookends if you like, meaningless at the beginning, meaningless at the end, um, bookending the book and telling us really what the summary of the teacher, uh, what the teacher has said is, um, you actually have the explorations of this teacher who's introduced to us as the son of David, king in Jerusalem. We're supposed to think of King Solomon, who was renowned for his wisdom, uh, who was very wealthy and was able to explore life and put a lot of things to the test. Um, that's who the teacher is. Whether it was actually Solomon writing this or whether it was someone using Solomon sort of as a character uh, in a book to explore all of these themes, it doesn't matter in the end. What he says is true uh, and he's going to look at life and weigh it up for us, test it and see what works in life. So through the book he's going to look at themes like wealth, he's going to look at career, he's going to look at status, He's going to look at pleasure and he's going to ask the question, which of these give us a solid foundation for living life? Which of these will help us to live life well and give us ultimate meaning and purpose in our lives? What should we invest our time in? What should we invest our energy in? So with that in mind, we return again to the theme and summary of the book, verse 2. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher, utterly meaningless, everything is meaningless. Um, that's a bit depressing at first sight. You've got up on a cold morning, you've come to church and you've been told that everything is just meaningless and it seems like a waste of time. But we need to ask the question, what does the teacher mean when he uses the word meaningless here? And even I think to ask the question, is meaningless the best word that we could use here? So the word which is used uh, in the Hebrew is a word hevel and it's important. This word comes up nearly 40 times in this book. Over and over again this word will be used. So it's key for understanding the book. The word hevel, what does it mean? And as I said before it forms the sort of the framework right at the beginning, right at the end covering everything that goes between. Well that's why I've got this prop here because this is what the word hevel literally means. See if this works. It's a bit of a problem, isn't it? Oh, there we go. Ah, had to wait, pause for effect. This is literally what the word hevel means. It means vapour or smoke. Okay? So the teacher is saying, a vapoury smoke, a vapoury smoke, everything is just a vapoury smoke. What's he mean by that? Uh, I think he probably means two things. Uh, and seeing this here and reflecting on us will help us um, understand uh, visually what he's talking about. The first thing I think he means is that everything is temporary and fleeting. I mean, you can start to see this already. When that smoke first came out, it looked pretty solid, didn't it? But already, you know, a few seconds, maybe a minute has passed, it's starting to dissipate and to disappear. It looked solid for a while, but it's starting to go. It's a bit like um, the mist that comes in the morning 
Uh, sometimes you can't really see very far when the mist is there. It looks very solid. But then it's gone before um, midday as the sun comes up and burns it away. And uh, when this word hevel appears in the Bible, it often has this meaning of being fleeting or temporary. In fact, the most common way that this word is translated in the Bible is, that, is as the word breath. Here's a few examples. Psalm 39 verse 5. You have made my days a mere handbreadth. The span of my years is nothing before you. Everyone is but a breath. Hevel. Even those who seem secure. Uh, or Psalm 144 verse 4. Human beings are like a breath. Hevel. Their days are like a fleeting shadow. You get the idea. One of the things that the teacher is trying to say is that everything is so temporary. Everything is so fleeting, so impermanent, so ephemeral, uh, like the smoke or the vapour. It's here one minute and the next it's gone. Which means, of course, if the things that he's going to weigh up, like uh, career, status, wealth, uh, pleasure, are so temporary, so impermanent, so fleeting then they're not great things for building the foundation of your life upon. Let's get a bit of this smoke going. Let's test this out. Okay. Uh, let's, let's see. If I'm looking for a firm foundation to build my life on, something that I can put my weight in, let's really get this going, okay? Something that I can rely upon, uh, let's try it out, okay? Ready? Trust exercise. Back we go career, status, wealth, is it going to... Of course not, right? Hopeless. If you try and invest the full weight of your life and meaning in these things, they simply cannot hold the weight. They are so fleeting, so impermanent. They're like smoky vapour, the teacher says. So that's the first thing he means that there's this temporary nature to things, this fleeting nature, they can't be relied upon to put your full weight in. But there's also a, se a second aspect of the, of the word and image that I think is there, and that's also the sense um, of, of smoke, of vapour, as being elusive or paradoxical or even enigmatic. Okay? The thing about smoke, let's get a little bit going here, is that you can't, you can't grasp it, can you? I mean, let's, let's try. Let me just, just, I'll just grab a bit and give it to, give it to Warwick. There, did you get it? No, okay, hang on. Just try again. There you go, mate. No, no. You can't, I mean, you can try. You can try and grab it, get hold of it. It looks solid enough, doesn't it? But it's gone. It slips through your fingers when you try and get hold of it. And the teacher is trying to say life is like that too. Down in verse 14 he brings out this meaning uh, very strongly. He says, I have seen all the things that are done under the sun. All of them are hevel, a chasing after the wind. Right? Can you chase down the wind if you try and catch it? I mean you can try. You can try and get hold of the wind but you simply can't do it. Can you grab hold of smoke? No, of course not. We've seen that you can't. Just when you think you've cornered it, just when you think you've got hold of it, 
just when you think you've mastered it and captured it, it's got away from you. And it's just not that simple to get hold of. And the teacher is saying life is like that. I don't know whether that's your experience of life as well. Just when you think you've got everything sorted out, everything nailed down, neatly defined and in a box, just when you think you've worked it out, it eludes you. There's a paradox, an enigma about life that we simply cannot get hold of. Now, we live in a scientific age. We love to classify things. We love to contain things and to think of ourselves as masters over our environment and over life. It's just going to keep on doing that. I'm sorry. <laughs> and yet life remains so elusive. There are some things that we can get a grip on. There are some things that we can get hold of. But there are so many things in life that we can't control and get hold of. You think about things like justice, goodness, beauty, the things that really matter in life. You can try and you know, contain them, grab hold of them, explain them, but you can't sum up those sorts of things in an equation, can you? There are some things that are outside the realm of our scientific endeavour. Life is hevel. It is elusive. It is full of paradoxes. It's like a swirling wisp of smoke that can't be cornered. The writer C.S. Lewis uh, used to write about this sort of thing uh, quite often. He was on a lifelong quest to find joy. Even before he became a Christian, he was on this search for joy. And he speaks about the fact that quite often in life, he had these momentary experiences where he was full of joy, just for a moment, uh, you know, a glimpse of a sunset or something that happened where he did experience this joy. But when he tried to grab hold of it, to reproduce it, to get this thing so that it could be a permanent part of his experience, so that he could feel like that all of the time, he simply couldn't do it. It was like it was there out of the corner of his eye and when he turned to grab hold of it, it had, it had escaped and got away. Like smoke, it eluded him and he simply couldn't grasp the thing that he was looking for. The band uh, Pink Floyd said pretty much the same thing in these words. When I was a child, I caught a fleeting glimpse out of the corner of my eye. I turned to look, but it was gone. I cannot put my finger on it now. The child is grown, the dream is gone. I have become comfortably numb. So this is what life is like, says the teacher. This is what things like career, wealth, status, pleasure are like. They're temporary and they're fleeting. They're also elusive and paradoxical. They're like smoky vapour that can't be captured and contained. Now I hope you realise that the word meaningless in Ecclesiastes has a whole lot more to it and it's not saying that everything is pointless, that this is just pure pessimism, that we might as well give up now and life is hopeless. No, it's not saying that. What it's saying is that you will not find ultimate meaning in these things. If you're seeking to put the weight of your life in them, you will not be able to do it. If you're trying to sum up life simplistically, contain it, grab hold of it and grasp it, you simply will not be able to do it. 
it will disappoint you and it will elude your grasp. That's why we've called this series Life Within Limits. There are some positive things that are said through Ecclesiastes. It's not pure pessimism, which is why we need to understand clearly what the teacher is saying to us. Because he's going to be positive about the good things in life that we do experience. But if you try and invest too much weight and find ultimate purpose in those things, then you will be disappointed. But we can live life within the limits that God has given us. If we live life the way that God designed it to be and give those things their rightful place under God, then we can live the good life and then we can find purpose and meaning in life. Set in their rightful places, these things are beautiful, they are enjoyable and they are good, but don't try and invest ultimate meaning in them. Don't try and build your life, don't try and construct your world view upon them because they will disappoint you and they will elude your grasp. That's the point that he really goes on to say in the verses that follow from verses 3 down to 11. He asks a rhetorical question in verse 3. What do people gain from all their labours at which they toil under the sun? Uh, The word gain literally means uh, a surplus or a leftover. Okay, he's really asking, okay, we do all this hard work in life, we, we plug away, we're constantly working, we're constantly trying to do things, but do we ever get ahead? You know, is there any profit or leftover in the big scheme of things? And then in what follows, he explores this question and he does it by doing a contrast between human life and the creation which continues uh, to do its thing day in, day out. So in verse 4 he says that generations come and generations go but the earth remains forever. So best as human beings, if we have a long life, we might have a hundred years, maybe a few more. But the writer is saying, the author is saying, um, sorry, the teacher is saying, what is, what is that? What's a hundred years compared to the sort of time frames that we're thinking about in terms of the earth? He's basically saying, is the sun impressed by your achievements? Does the sea care that you've just upgraded your iPhone to the latest model? Does the wind get wowed by your beauty or your physical stature or um, prowess? No, nature just keeps doing its thing in its regular, reliable motions, day in, day out, the sun rises, the sun sets, the streams flow into the sea, The wind blows and changes direction as beauty fades, phones become obsolete and achievements pass out of memory. They've seen it all before. What seems like it's new is really not. It's not that new. It's not that impressive. Time marches on, the teacher says, and it will erase you and me and all that we care about. He concludes in verse 11, No one remembers the former generations and even those yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow them. What can you tell me about your great-great-grandmother? Do you know her name? Some some people do. I had some hands. 
Um, the family historians can tell me the name of their great-great-grandmother, but could you tell me what she was like, what she achieved, and what importance does the latest gadget that she bought at some point in her life, whatever that was, have now in our modern world? All of these things are passing moments. They seem solid and important in the moment, but when you consider them from the perspective of the sun or the wind or the sea or a mountain looking down on these things, we see how passing they are. Time erases what we think is significant and the bigger the picture we get, the more we'll see things in their proper perspective, the more we'll be able to live life within limits. Uh, probably the best teacher that I had throughout my entire school life was my grade six teacher, Mr Gowdy, and uh, he used to teach us a poem every week. I can still recite some of those poems, uh, as Anna will tell you. She has to put up with them every now and again still. But we were introduced to a poem called Mandius" by Percy Bysshe Shelley, and it captures this thought very well. Let me read it to you. I met a traveller from an antique land who said, two vast and trunkless legs of stone stand in the desert. Near them on the sand, half sunk a shattered visage lies, whose frown and wrinkled lip and sneer of cold command tell that its sculptor well those passions read, which yet survive stamped on these lifeless things, the hand that mocked them and the heart that fed. And on the pedestal, these words appear. My name is Ozymandias, king of kings. Look on my works, ye mighty, and despair. Nothing beside remains. Round the decay of that colossal wreck, boundless and bare, the lone and level sands stretch far away. What he thought was substantial, what he thought was impressive, look on my works, you mighty in despair, is laughable. The arrogance that he thought he could defeat the ravages of time. It was like a vapour, like smoke, and it's now passed away like the morning mist. So what are we as Christians to do with a book like Ecclesiastes? Um, It's a book which gives us very little hope and it's often dismissed and ignored by Christians because they're not quite sure what to do with it. I don't know how often you've had uh, Ecclesiastes preached if you've been going to church for some time. Um, I think as we come to this book we need to be careful to do two things with the book of Ecclesiastes. The first thing that we need to do is we need to take it very seriously. We need to take seriously what Ecclesiastes says to us. Sometimes uh, Christians read this book and they think, oh, that's just negative, that's too pessimistic, that's very Old Testament, but now that Jesus has come, well, with Jesus in your life, life is great, it's full of meaning and purpose. And we've got to be careful not to be too glib and too simplistic as Christians because Even as followers of Jesus, what the teacher says to us rings very true of life, doesn't it? Life still is temporary and fleeting. Life is still elusive and enigmatic, even as a follower of Jesus. And we still often get sucked into the ways of the world, don't we? We still do try and invest 
ultimate meaning in things like wealth, career, status and pleasure, even while proclaiming Jesus as Lord. So the warnings that we have in Ecclesiastes we need to hear and we need to take very seriously. It should remind us that everything is indeed vapour and smoke and the things of this world that entice us, that fill up our diaries, that wear out our credit cards, will not last. They will not give us ultimate meaning. They will not ultimately satisfy us. Try them out. Sure, try them out, says the teacher. He says, I, I have tried them all. I've tested them to the limit and I'll tell you, it doesn't work. We need to hear that. That's very important for us as we try and do life well. But the second thing we need to do uh, with a book like Ecclesiastes, as with all of the Old Testament as we come to read it, is that we we do need to read it in light of the coming of Jesus. What it says is true and it's helpful, but it's not the full picture of God's revelation to us. So Jesus comes announcing that the kingdom of God is at hand. God's kingdom is breaking into this world, Jesus says. There's a new way of life that is here. It's arrived and it's centred on Jesus himself, he says. And so Jesus turns the values and the priorities of the world on their head. He challenges the way that we think about life and the way that we do life in this world. He warns people about storing up treasure on earth where moth and rust will destroy it, he says, and where thieves will break in and steal. It won't last, Jesus says. It is like smoky vapour, but you can instead store up treasure in heaven because that will last. That is permanent. That outlasts the sun, the wind, the sea, the mountain. If you're looking for ultimate meaning and purpose in life, Jesus says, look to him. He is the one who will truly satisfy us. He is the one who will give us things that will last. I think of Jesus' conversation with the woman, the Samaritan woman at the well, where they're having a conversation about the water in the well and having a drink from it. And Jesus says to her, her, this is John 4, 13 to 14, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Jesus says to that woman there, and he says to us, I can offer you something that will satisfy you and that will truly last into eternity. That doesn't mean that life will sort of cease to be fleeting and elusive. That doesn't mean that we won't face disappointments and difficulties in life. Of course we will. But Jesus says, hold on to me and you'll have a firm foundation to build life on amidst the smoke. He is solid, he is reliable, he is permanent and he can show us how to put the good things of this life in their rightful place under him as Lord and King He can show us how to live life the way that God has designed it to be, intended it to be. Uh, In the words of the hymn, On Christ, the solid rock I stand, all other ground 
is sinking sand. Or we might say, all other ground is smoky vapour. Let's pray. Our Lord God, we thank you for the variety that you give us in the Bible. We thank you for this book of Ecclesiastes which challenges the way that we think about, thinks about the world and helps us to see that things that we often invest ourselves in and treat as things which are permanent and that we can build our life on are in fact nothing but smoky vapour, impermanent and unable to be fully grasped. Help us not to be distracted and deluded by these things but rather we ask that you would help us to turn our gaze to the Lord Jesus Christ, to fix our eyes upon him and to found our life on him, the firm foundation and the solid rock. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.